Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> ah, hello there. So pleased to see you've returned to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got a very interesting item indeed. If you'll take a look over here, we've got this shelf up high. You'll see some mannequin heads displaying all manner of helmets generally used in warfare throughout history. If you'll take a look at this one here on the far left, it dates back in antiquity to ancient Greece probably around the time of the Spartans and this is what a, a Spartan warrior uh, the helmet they would have worn now if you'll notice the uh, very distinct shape of this helmet the shape of the eye slits you'll find it very familiar in this day and age very similar to a helmet worn by a race or a creed of people long ago in a galaxy far far away and therein lies the heartbeat of today's episode of odds bondkin's curiosity shop so let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at season three of the mandalorian So season three of The Mandalorian wrapped up last week and wow, did it end on a bang figuratively and most literally i i have to say um for all of the naysayers this season and there were many of them and we'll get into all that a little bit later in talking about this i dare anyone to complain about how that season finale went down it was probably one of my favorite episodes of the mandalorian so far uh just everything that went into it and we'll, we'll get into the nuts and bolts of the the season finale uh as we talk about this uh this season and the the episodes there within but uh i was just uh very pleased with this season of the mandalorian and again i know there were a lot of naysayers out there and i'll give my reasons why i enjoyed it and i wasn't going to be one of those people that just bitched and moaned because that seemed to be the cool thing to do all the cool kids today who have uh, review shows or podcasts or or youtube things uh it's you know you're part of the cool click if all you do is bitch and moan about everything that star wars does and everything that disney does and that's not to say that everything that star wars and disney do are perfect uh that everything that disney does beyond star wars is perfect it's not uh it does have its faults and it does have its problems but when you find people that do nothing but bitch about star wars and disney even the good stuff uh, therein lies the problem I have. And and that is, I think, the problem we have with, with Star Wars right now is you've got people that are so pissed off at Disney just because they're Disney that they'll shit on and they'll take a big dump all over the good things that they're doing with Star Wars and Marvel. And and there are some good things that, that Disney is doing with those. 
everything that Disney put out isn't shit because it's Disney. You can't do that. You can't be so pissed off at Disney for being Disney when, uh, I mean, everybody loved Disney back in the 90s when they were putting out all these, uh, all these, you know, Lion Kings and Little Mermaids and, and all this shit. But because Disney bought Marvel and they bought Star Wars, uh, now, now we've got problems because they're, they're franchises and intellectual properties that are close to people's hearts. And I get that. I, have been a Star Wars fan since I was a, a little kid, back when I first watched uh, the original trilogy, uh, when it when they came out in the movie theater. You know, I've loved Star Wars. It's been an integral part of my life, but I, I'm not so possessive of it, or I, I hate to use the term because, you know, that's what the kids use these days, gatekeepery about it. It's going to go the way I don't want it to go in, in some regards. Not not everything that they do, everything they put out that is Star Wars is going to be exactly what I want and exactly how I want it. It's just not realistic. But you get a lot of people that way. And I, I, like I said, I, I'll maybe touch on this a little more. Maybe I don't even talk about it at all for the rest of this podcast because I want to focus on the positive because I think there is a lot of positive to take out of season three of The Mandalorian. And I'm going to be right up front with you. I, I enjoyed this season, uh, the good, bad, and the ugly. And there were some things that I didn't quite care for. There was a lot of things I really liked, a lot of things they set up for the future that I really liked. So uh, I'm going to go right into this right now. We are going to have a lot of spoilers uh, for season three. So if you haven't watched season three of The Mandalorian, it's all out on Disney Plus right now. Go check it out. Then come back and listen to this podcast. If you've watched it and you want to hear what I think, we're going to press on. Uh, if you've never watched The Mandalorian and you're like, what, what's this all about? Uh, you know, I kind of heard what happened in season one, season two. I want to hear what happened in season three without actually investing the time in watching it. Uh, more power to you. You really need to watch it. It's a really good show. Uh, but uh, but I, I hopefully you'll press on with me as well. And uh, we'll talk about The Mandalorian Season 3. But from here on out, we are going to have some spoilers. So how we're going to do this, I am going to touch on some of the highlights and lowlights, uh, some of the things that worked and didn't work with each episode. But I'm really going to maybe not gloss over each episode, but it's going to be my quick random thoughts on each episode until we get to the season finale. Uh, maybe the penultimate episode as well. But the season finale is the, the episode I really want to talk about. So we're going to kind of hit some of the highlights and lowlights of, of each episode, what I thought about them uh, and their place in the entire story. Uh, but the finale is what I really want to get into. But episode one, the first episode of the season called The Apostate, really was just kind of a reminder of where we left off in season two, where Din Djarin, uh, it's been revealed that he took off his helmet in front of people, and now he is no longer considered a Mandalorian, and we're just pretty much reminded what he has to do. He has to go to the living waters underneath Mandalore and bathe, kind of uh, a baptism sort of, of, of scenario. That is essentially what episode one is about. It's just a reminder of what needs to be done in this season for the Mandalorian to become a Mandalorian again. Uh, there were some cool things. We get to see a little bit more of Mandalorian culture, the baptism that they do and where uh, foundlings take the creed, which was kind of cool. They explained uh, Gina Carano's Cara Dune character's absence. And, and I like how Dave Filoni and John Favreau both said they didn't kill her off. 
they just kind of wrote her out of the the series. I mean, thus far, she's just off in another part of the galaxy doing whatever she's doing, working with the New Republic. The, the character's not out of the show. It's a situation where I think they'll probably eventually bring her back. And I hope, I know there was a lot of talk that maybe Lucy Lawless should be recast as Cara Dune. I don't like that. I, I hate recasts. This isn't like an 80s sitcom. I hate recasting characters like that. But I think once things cool down between Carano and Disney or Carano and Kathleen Kennedy or whoever made the call on on her firing, I think once things uh, calm down, cool down, and the, the two of them can come together, I think maybe we may see her back on the show. Maybe even get that Rangers of the New Republic uh, series that, that they talked about for the longest time that was going to showcase Gina Carano as Cardoon. And we may see her back, we may not, but the character is still uh, alive in the Star Wars universe. Another really cool thing I I really liked was that really interesting nod to Star Wars Rebels, where they had those space whales. Of course, Grogu and the Mandalorian are flying in the Naboo fighter through hyperspace, and in the kind of uh, the star field that's flying by of hyperspace, you see these uh, shadows. Uh, these silhouettes of these space whales that were featured in Star Wars Rebels. The only, I believe, the only natural creature that can travel through hyperspace. These creatures live in hyperspace. And it was a, a whole big part of the Rebels uh, finale with Grand Admiral Thrawn and Ezra Bridger. But it was cool we got like a little nod to that. We have to imagine that that is going to show up somewhere down the line, whether later in the Mandalorian series or definitely probably in the Ahsoka series because they're delving into the Grand Admiral Thrawn, Edra Bridger stuff. So I, I thought that was a kind of cool nod to the uh, the Rebels series. There, there was a lot of Rebels and Clone Wars nods uh, in this season, uh, but in this series altogether. Uh, episode 2 was the Minds of Mandalore. That's where the Mandalorian uh, goes to Mandalore to bathe in the living waters. He gets taken prisoner by this, this creature. It's mechanical, but it has some biological aspects to it. Kind of a General Grievous type uh, droid. Uh, Bo-Katan has to come and save him. She saves him with the Darksaber, which kind of plays into some things later on. Then Mando goes into the living waters. He falls in deep. Bo-Katan has to save him again. <laughs> And, and we get a glimpse of the Mythosaur, which is thought to be extinct. I thought it was going to play a bigger part in this season than it did, but I think maybe that is for later seasons or other series. But to get a couple glimpses of this this living Mythosaur down in the waters beneath Mandalore, which was, which was kind of cool. I, I'm wondering how that's going to play out uh, sometime in the, I'm, I'm guessing, not too distant future. And of course, Bo-Katan diving into the living waters means... Uh, she is is uh, essentially baptized again and, and reconfirmed as a Mandalorian. I mean, the armorer doesn't think she's a true Mandalorian because she doesn't wear her helmet all the time. It's very much different sects of this same group of people. And, and I'll give you my thoughts on, I think, where you can draw some parallels to modern day things. But that was kind of interesting how uh, that plays out. Episode three, The Convert, kind of follows up on that with Bo-Katan being accepted by the armorer and her 
kind of accepting to live by the armorer's rules while she's with them. She doesn't take her helmet off. That was kind of cool. Then you had a little bit of a detour in this episode where they take you to Coruscant and we're back with that Dr. Penn Pershing. He is the cloning doctor that we saw in the first season of The Mandalorian trying to clone Baby Yoda. Or Grogu, as I still want to call him Baby Yoda sometimes. But yes, his name is Grogu. We find him. We find that comms officer, Elia Kane. She was featured last season as a part of Moff Gideon's crew. And they are a part of this Imperial Amnesty program on Coruscant, where all these former Imperials are are coming in and they're being, uh, you know, re-educated essentially and reconditioned, I think is what they call it, and trying to become functioning members of the New Republic Society and put aside their old imperial ways. But it really was kind of a cloak and dagger episode. And it was interesting because it, it very much showed the ineffectuality and the bureaucracy that was inherent in the New Republic that made it fail. And you wonder why the the new order came about that we saw in the sequel trilogy. And I think this season really helped to show how ineffectual the New Republic is and how much like bureaucratic red tape and Dr. Pershing is wanting to help society with his cloning research. You know, his mother died and, and if they would have had cloning, she, she could have lived. They could have cloned new organs or something like that. And the New Republic is banning cloning and he can't do what he knows how to do and what he knows will will help society. So he becomes disillusioned with it, disenfranchised with it. He gets involved with uh, Elia Kane's character and she's helping him to go get some lab equipment and, and then she turns on him and he gets caught. But it's not because she's all in with the New Republic. We find out she's kind of spying for Moff Gideon. You don't really, you don't really know for sure, but there's uh, clues at the end where she's eating the Imperial uh, ration biscuit and you know she's she's still imperial and they they pay that off a little bit later but uh, dr pershing's mind is erased thanks to elliot kane and it it really felt like an awkward one-off episode that i i get why they did it but the fact that they dedicated the better part of a full episode to this the short side story that only had small ramifications as to the rest of the season now maybe it may have bigger ramifications to later seasons, but uh, that that remains to be seen. Episode four, The Foundling, uh, was a really cool episode, actually directed by Carl Weathers, uh, Grief Karga himself. But I liked this episode because you had uh, you had some cool insights into Mandalorian culture again. We got to see the Mandalorians training. We got to see Grogu start to do his training. We see Bo-Katan kind of integrating herself into the armorer's group. There's that rescue mission for Paz Vizsla's uh, son has been uh, taken by this creature. And they have this rescue mission. I I know a lot of people complaining because it seemed very leisurely. (laughs) But Jesus Christ, you got to have some suspension of disbelief. You don't have to nitpick everything, for God's sakes. Should there have been some more urgency? Yes, of course there should have. But the episode wasn't about the rescue. It wasn't about saving the kid. It was more about integrating Bo-Katan into the armor sect and making her a trusted member of this group. And that they accomplished. The kid getting taken by that bird thing, that was just a plot device and a storytelling device to get us from point A to point B. 
in the character development. But we get to see the armorer start to work on Grogu's Mandalorian armor. She makes him a little chest plate with the, the Mudhorn uh, emblem on the front. And, and we see Grogu becoming one step closer to becoming a Mandalorian and wearing the, the Mandalorian armor. But what I think the coolest thing about this episode is while the armorer is making Grogu's chest plate, Grogu has this flashback to Order 66, and they finally do this huge reveal. Everybody's been wondering, who was it that saved Grogu from Order 66? And there have been all sorts of various fan theories out there, uh, You know everything from R2-D2 to one of the Jedis that worked in the archives. I heard a Mace Windu theory at one point. Various other theories out there as to who actually saved Grogu. But we finally get the big reveal that a Jedi named Kelleran saved Grogu during Order 66. And of course, the Kelleran character played by none other than Ahmed Best, who did the voice for Jar Jar Binks in the prequel trilogy, also with uh, Clone Wars and stuff like that. I thought this was fantastic. I have been one of the biggest Jar Jar Binks haters out there. I don't blame the actor. Don't get me wrong. And, and, and the people out there that have like given him shit because of Jar Jar Binks, that's, that's bullshit. You know, he's an actor. He's just playing a part that George Lucas wrote, that George Lucas wanted him to, to voice in a particular way. It's not Ahmed Best's fault that he was chosen to voice one of the most hated characters in Star Wars. It's not his fault, and, and he shouldn't be blamed for Jar Jar Binks. Uh, that's all on George Lucas. Uh, everybody looks like George Lucas is untouchable sometimes, but but that's his fault right there. But Ahmed Best, it, it doesn't redeem Jar Jar Binks, but I think the actor, it gives him a, a little bit of redemption uh, because, like I said, people have given him a lot of shit over the years, unjustly and unduly, but I think Ahmed Best getting to play this this Jedi who rescues Grogu from Order 66. He ferries him off to this chase scene, ferries him off to uh, the Naboo uh, soldiers, and he you know they take off in a Naboo uh, spacecraft, kind of like what we saw in Phantom Menace. It was a really cool scene, a really cool reveal for for how Grogu survived Order 66. And again, Ahmed Best really kind of getting uh, a, a little redemption for himself. Uh, you know, he finally gets to play a character that everybody's going to love. Now, Episode 5 called The Pirate was, was kind of an interesting episode for a lot of reasons, I thought. Uh, Goran Shand is this, this space pirate that was introduced in, in one of the earlier episodes, but he's come back to Navarro and... And he's he's upset that some of his people were killed, and he's after the Mandalorian, you know, Din Djarin. Uh, one of the things I thought was really cool about the the Gorian Shand character is that they used. I'm pretty sure that was, if not all, pretty close to all puppetry, which kind of takes us back to like original Star Wars. You know, Jabba the Hutt wasn't some shitty CG character; he was a, a huge puppet. Uh, Salacious Crumb was a puppet, not some some CG character. And I like that they went back. You know, a lot of the the space creatures in in Star Wars cantina scenes and stuff thought uh, were puppets or, or people in a suit with a lot of animatronic faces and things like that. And that's what you got with the Gorian Shand character. There may have been a, a little bit of digital enhancement. 
but I thought it was really cool. Some people didn't like it at all. And I'm like, come on, that's classic Star Wars right there. It's, it's a throwback. How, how can you not like that? If you don't like that, then you didn't like any, you didn't like any of the fucking original trilogy. And how can you call yourself a Star Wars fan if you don't like the original trilogy? So I, I it really pisses me off when people, you know, shit on things like that. Would you rather have been a completely CG shitty character that, and, and then you'd have the, the shitty CG to bitch about, uh, you know, people want their cake and eat it too. They, they don't know what they want. They just want to be able to bitch about Star Wars, I think, uh, in a lot of cases. But but I really dug that aspect of this character. Uh, you've got the Carson Teva character that is at a Delphi base brought back in. They had a really cool cameo. The Zeb character from Star Wars Rebels, even voiced by Stephen Blum, was a really cool cameo that as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, oh shit, they just... And yeah, it was. I, I I was afraid it was going to be another one of that race that that Zeb came from, but no. In the credits, it is Zeb from from Star Wars Rebels. So really excited to see if he shows up in the Ahsoka series because Ahsoka is going to have a lot of the the Star Wars Rebels stuff. So maybe we'll see that character show up again. And I thought the CG. You know, I I just talked about the. Gordon Shand's character being a lot of puppetry and would you rather have a shitty CG character but this character looked mostly CG if not all CG and it looked really good so maybe they maybe they could have pulled off the the Gorian Shand as as completely CG because they did a really good job with the Zeb but I liked it that they brought that that old school uh, way of movie making and the old school way of doing special effects uh, with the with the puppetry, uh, you know, it's very inherent in in, in the DNA of, of Star Wars. So so I like kind of you know you get two characters done completely different, and I thought both done quite well. But you also had another uh, big cameo, Tim Meadows playing this Colonel Tuttle. I, I was really afraid when I saw Tim Meadows that it was gonna be very ladies man like, but uh, the SNL skit. But I thought he did a good job. He's Tim Meadows. He's got a very iconic voice and delivery. He can't not sound like Tim Meadows because that's who he is. But uh, but I, I like the character. It wasn't an over-to-the-top cameo. That's one of the things I, I really haven't liked about a lot of the cameos and some of the other Star Wars series is that the cameos just seem over-the-top and out-of-place. And I think that's the one thing that The Mandalorian has done with their celebrity cameos is that they've, they've made them kind of fit i mean they do stand out a little bit because it's an obvious you know celebrity cameo hey i'm tv's tim meadows but it's like i said the delivery the characters are not over the top and outlandish now i reserve the right to take all that back when we get to a couple cameos later in this season but as of right now with the tim meadows cameo in, in episode five i liked it it wasn't uh, it wasn't bad uh this is one where you really get the idea that the elliot kane character is spying from off gideon and i thought it was cool the the whole thing where the mandalorians retake navarro for for grief karga and get rid of the Gorian Shand character. And, and we get uh, another really good glimpse of how the Mandalorians are better together than when they're apart. Because they work as a team. They work as a unit. Uh, you know, they're badass fighters on their own. But when they're together, they're they're even more formidable. Uh, which, I, which I thought was really cool. And a running theme we see throughout this whole season. 
Episode 6 was Guns for Hire. I believe that was the episode uh, Bryce Dallas Howard directed. And this is the episode where we had a we had like three big celebrity cameos. And I, I know people gave at least two of them a lot of shit, but I, I honestly didn't mind them. You had Jack Black making a cameo as was Captain Bombardier. And then you had Lizzo uh, as his wife. And she is kind of like the queen of this this planet that Din Djarin and Bo-Katan visit, trying to, to get in touch with, with her group of Mandalorians that, that kind of left her. The Jack Black and Lizzo character, one, Jack Black, you can't not recognize him. But Lizzo, if my wife hadn't pointed out that that's Lizzo, I figured it had to be somebody. But, you know, I, I don't listen to Lizzo's music. I don't watch her TV show. I, I don't know who Lizzo is from, from whoever. But my wife said, oh, that's Lizzo. And I was like, oh, okay, I wouldn't have known that. And while she's not a great actress, she's not a bad actress. I thought she did a fine job. She didn't do an over-the-top character that, was ridiculous and seemed out of place. And the fact that she just adored uh, Grogu was was kind of cute and charming. Jack Black can't help but seem a little over the top. Even when he's when even when he's pulling back, he just seems very over the top. But you've seen Jack Black go full bore over the top before. And and he didn't do that. He was very reserved in this. And I thought it worked. And you know, his his very natural charisma and his very natural over-the-top ways kind of worked for this. I mean, the character was kind of opulent and a little bit over-the-top. And and I think Jack Black, he worked in this role. This character worked for him. This character played to his strong suits. And it didn't seem too out of place in the Star Wars universe. I, I thought... It could have been horrible. And I'm sure there are some people out there that think it was horrible, but I, I personally didn't. Uh, could I have done without both these two cameos? Yes. But, you know, then if it's if it's not this big celebrity cameo, then, then why are we meeting these people that are maybe going to be seen again, but probably not going to be seen again in the Star Wars universe or in the Mandalorian show? Uh, so, so I get why they they made the decision to to do these cameos, and for the most part, I thought they worked. Then we had the other cameo with Christopher Lloyd as this uh, Hellgate guy, who is the reason that they're <laughs> that I guess that's probably one of the problems I have with this episode, and it's not even really a problem. But this this episode felt like one of those one off episodes that it was a, a mystery, and it felt like a investigative buddy cop sort of scenario where these droids are going crazy and it's Christopher Lloyd that's doing it and it kind of calls back to the separatists and Count Dooku and a lot of callbacks to the you know the sequel series which was was kind of interesting to a degree you do have the revelation that Jack Black's character this Captain Bombardier is is part of the Imperial Amnesty program and that he may not be all he is cracked up to be. He may not be as reformed as he wants everyone to believe. Uh, Christopher Lloyd's character kind of divulges that. So maybe we will see these characters in a, a later season, but, but I don't know. And I don't think we have to. I don't care if we do uh, but if we do, uh, it'll be fine. Like I said, I think Jack Black uh, and Lizzo and Christopher Lloyd all did a good enough job for being... Jack Black and Christopher Lloyd are two guys that can do over the top. 
and and they were both reserved enough that I, I think these characters all fit well within the Star Wars universe and and didn't stand out like a, a sore thumb. But yeah, most of the most of this episode really, I, it felt like iRobot, that Will Smith movie for some reason to me. But then we get you know uh, Bo-Katan and, and Din Djarin meet up with uh, Axe Wolves and, and his group of Mandalorians that used to be with with Bo-Katan, part of the Night Owls. She challenges for leadership, and and they have this really cool fight scene. And then Din Djarin ends up giving Bo-Katan the Darksaber. And a a lot of people are pissed off about this because, you know, the whole thing is the Darksaber is supposed to be won in battle. But Din Djarin, he's very, very crafty, this one. He found out a loophole because he lost the Darksaber to that creature in the minds of Mandalore uh, that's that mechanized thing that was kind of a general grievous type character bo katan came and rescued him and defeated that creature using the dark saber they didn't mention that but she used the dark saber to defeat this character and and essentially by rights she won it back so he is just returning it to her and they have that great scene where she ignites the dark saber at the very end showing that she is now uh, truly the leader of the Mandalorian. So we come to the penultimate episode, episode seven called The Spies, which was really kind of a, uh, a lot of people read way too much into that because we have, you know, the revelation finally on the screen. It is confirmed that the Elia Kane character is spying on the New Republic for, for Moff Gideon. But it says spies, plural. So everyone is thinking, oh, well, it's the armor. The armor is really a spy. Oh, it's it's Axe Wolves. He's really a spy. Uh, and it turned out that none of those were true. And maybe it's something where we will later get some revelation that there were more than, than one spy. But, uh, I mean, they do everything for a reason. So there, there has to be another reason why it was spies, plural, not the spy. But as of right now, this episode doesn't reveal anything other than the Elia Kane spy. I thought there was a really cool parallel. If you go watch New Rock Stars, Eric Voss does a breakdown of all these. Uh, I, I love watching Eric Voss and New Rock Stars breakdown of Star Wars and Marvel stuff. Uh, Charlie from Emergency Awesome does a really good job of breaking down Star Wars and Marvel stuff. But I believe it was Eric Voss uh, and and somebody else he he kind of quoted kind of making parallels to to Moses and the Israelites coming out of Egypt and spending 40 years in the, the, the wilderness. And then, of course, the 12 spies that they sent to spy on the land of Canaan and Joshua and all that stuff. I, I don't want to get into a, a Bible study here, but I thought it was a really cool parallel. And it made me really think that maybe that was the deeper meaning. I don't know. I don't know what the deeper meaning of spies was as a title. But, but at any rate, you get some really cool stuff in this episode as the penultimate episode episode we get introduced to the shadow council uh moff gideon is in this uh, council with all these old imperial generals and and moffs and stuff like that and we get uh, a couple cool revelation there's commandant hux who is uh, um, in charge of project necromancer and you you have to imagine that he is the father of general hux that we will see later played by Domhnall gleason in the star wars uh, sequel trilogy and Project Necromancer, of course, necromancy, bringing the dead back, uh, has to do with uh, resurrecting the Emperor or, or cloning the Emperor. And I thought it was pretty cool because the the actor who played Commandant Hux was Domhnall Gleeson's brother. 
<laughs> so I was like, I- I'm watching it, and I'm like, I- he looks a lot like Domino Gleason. And and found out, yeah, it was his brother playing uh, essentially his father in in this in this episode. But that was a cool kind of nod to to other characters in the Star Wars universe. But also they had Gilead Pelion, who is the right hand man of Grand Admiral Thrawn in the Heir to the Empire books, and the actor that they had playing him looked exactly like the drawings of him and all the artwork from from Heir to the Empire from from back in the 90s. So it was cool to see that tie to the Heir to the Empire books, which is kind of the impetus and the inspiration for what's going on now with The Mandalorian. It's going to be going on with the Ahsoka series. There's going to be a big movie. It's going to be kind of like the Infinity Saga where you have all these shows and different aspects of the shows are going to culminate with a movie that is going to probably be named heir to the empire from from what i'm understanding but it's going to be all about grand admiral thrawn is the big bad the the thanos type character that this all culminates with so we're getting some of the groundwork laid with this with the mandalorian and even more groundwork is going to be laid with the ahsoka series so really kind of excited about that then you get the mandalorians going to mandalore to retake it grogu gets the ig-11 they turn ig-11 into a mech suit and and name it ig-12 so grogu fits in his chest and walks around I, i know some people had a problem with that but goddamn that was some adorable shit uh, I, I don't care how much of a badass you think you are, how tough you think you are. Uh, if you don't find Grogu absolutely adorable, then you have no soul. And the fact that he's walking around in this mech suit made from IG-11, uh, pushing the yes-no button, uh, that was some cute shit. It was, I mean, it's not meant to be serious. Jesus Christ, you got too many people that want to take shit way too serious when it comes to Star Wars. And and you have to have a, a little bit of levity. You have to have a, a little bit of lightness to, to break up the all the the intensity and the the action that's going on and some of the darker themes but i thought that was cute and of course ig11 or i should say grogu in the ig11 suit the ig12 suit i guess you could call it now uh goes with the mandalorians to retake mandalore they're searching for the, the great forge on mandalore and find out it's a trap and these stormtroopers that are all decked out in beskar armor uh, like Mandalorians come and attack, and it's just this big trap. The whole time, all I'm hearing is Admiral Akbar, it's a trap. But it all ends with Din Djarin being captured and the Paz Vizsla character, voiced by Jon Favreau, being killed off. And so it was, it was kind of cool that, you know, there there's some stakes, you know, you get, he's not a main character, but there's a really only like two main characters. Three, if you want to count Bo-Katan, but that's mainly just in this season. But the Paz Vizsla character is killed off by the Praetorian guards. They're those uh, guards all dressed in red. We saw them in Return of the Jedi. Uh, they made an appearance. I, I didn't really care for their look in the sequel series, but this version of them, uh, again, much like the Stormtroopers we saw, 
they're decked out in kind of Mandalorian style Beskar armor, which which was really kind of badass. I mean, this is probably one of my favorite versions of the Praetorian Guards. So now we get to the the episode that I've really wanted to talk about. And I probably talked about the other episodes much more than I really intended to. But episode eight is the the finale for this season and the episode that really no matter what kind of complaints you had about this season up until this, this season culminated with this episode and this episode made this season, I thought. So there was a lot of really cool things happening and I'm going to take them, uh, we're going to take it piece by piece because all hell breaks loose once this trap is sprung. You had axe wolves going up to the fleet that are in outer space. He's flying on his rocket pack and he is kind of just ahead of a group of uh, TIE interceptors that Moff Gideon is sending up there. So he gets everybody out of, of all the ships and going down to the the planet of Mandalore while he's taking control of this light cruiser and taking on the entire fleet of TIE Interceptors that, that Moff Gideon. And that whole space battle was kind of badass. I mean, it was just this big ship against all these TIE Interceptors. But I really liked the the visuals. There were some really cool shots with you know this TIE Interceptor getting uh, hit. And it crashing. And the camera just kind of following it. And it had some really interesting a, a different kind of space battle. It's it's uh, the opposite of what we're usually seeing. We're usually seeing a bunch of X-Wings fighting a Star Destroyer, where this is a light cruiser uh, that the good guys fly and taking on uh, a bunch of these smaller TIE interceptors. So it was really cool. And I, I thought that, you know, some of the, the visuals, the, the guns coming to life and, and turning and shooting, it just had some really cool miniature work. And I really loved that scene for, for what it was. And then the whole action. Wolves character guiding this ship down to this hole in the ground where Moff Gideon's base is all set up because we find out that Moff Gideon's base has been on Mandalore this whole time. He's been mining Beskar to, to make these uh, Beskar armored suits for his stormtroopers and for the Praetorian Guard and, and for himself. But we see this this really cool scene where Axe Wolves uh, kind of sends this star cruiser, this light cruiser, down into this hole and kind of just blows that shit out of everything before escaping himself, which was cool. I, it was nice to see that you know everybody thought maybe he was one of the spies from the titular spies in the last episode, but he wasn't. So that was kind of cool. The armor was another one that everyone thought, but they had this scene where all these Mandalorian are coming from all the ships up above and coming down to join the fight. And you had this very badass midair battle between all these Mandalorians with their jetpacks, all these stormtroopers with their, their jetpacks, uh, because they're all decked out like Mandalorians. And just this midair battle of, you know, Bo-Katan swinging the Darksaber. The armorer has her Beskar hammer that she's beating the shit out of people with. And, and you're finding out that, no, she wasn't a bad guy. She's fighting uh, just as hard as anyone else. And, and everybody thought she was a spy. So there again, I don't know where spies plural comes from. But it wasn't what everyone thought. And I'm glad because I, I like the idea that the Mandalorian are all coming together, uniting to be one people. And we'll, like I said, I'll talk about 
what I think the parallels are to real world situations that we have today. We go inside Moff Gideon's base and you have Din Djarin drugged by these stormtroopers all dressed, decked out in, in Mandalorian gear. And you think they're going to kill him. And then all of a sudden, Grogu shows up in that IG-12 mech suit, uh, hitting the no button and giving Din Djarin the, the opportunity to steal a knife and start fighting and you have the the two of them working together to to take on these these couple guards and then that cool scene where they have the the corridor separated by these these energy walls and each section has two of these guards in it and they you know they have the the droid open them up one at a time and and Dinjarn going in and fighting them you know starting off with just a knife and then just kind of slowly getting better weapons as he goes up a level, sort of. But this, I think, was the scene I think I was waiting for. I think a lot of people were waiting for it because in this season, one of the biggest gripes is that it felt like Din Djarin, who everybody expects to be the titular character, the Mandalorian. I don't think that's the case, and we'll talk about that later. But he's kind of felt like a side character. And I, I can't agree with that completely, but I understand where people would, would think that and see that. Uh, for me, we don't get enough of seeing just how badass of a fighter Din Djarin really is. But you got it in this episode. You saw it in this scene and, and all the scenes after that. He is a badass fighter. And, and watching him taking on these, these guards and these stormtroopers with all the Beskar armor was just badass. And, and I freaking loved it. We get the revelation where Grogu and, and Din Djarin are walking through where Moff Gideon has his clones that he's been working on. And here we've been all the, all along, we thought, well, maybe it's clones for Snoke. Maybe they're clones of Grogu. Uh, maybe they're clones of the Emperor. Well, the Project Necromancer is the clones for the Emperor. And I believe Snoke was one of those failed clones. Uh, so this isn't that, but we finally get the revelation that Moff Gideon is trying to clone himself. And he kind of does in a very Bond villain way, explains everything. He took over Mandalore and started making Beskar armor for himself. He wants to recreate the Dark Troopers with the only person he can trust himself. So he's cloning himself. The only thing he's ever lacked, you know, he has the mind, he has the body. The only thing he's ever lacked is the Force. So he was trying to integrate Grogu's uh, Force-sensitive DNA into his own to make these clones, which Din Djarin and Grogu wrecked uh, because they they broke all the chambers and and Moff Gideon is pissed but Moff Gideon is all decked out like a Mandalorian he has this Mandalorian helmet this Mandalorian armor his space cape uh he is he he looks like Darth Vader it's very much uh everyone has a Darth Vader fetish uh, Kylo Ren did in the sequel series Moff Gideon does in this uh he even talks a little deeper when he has his his Mandalorian helmet on but he's kind of got this idea of he's taking 
all these different cultures and put them together to make the ultimate dark trooper. And they have a badass fight scene between him and Dinjarin. Bo-Katan shows up, the two of them taking on Moff Gideon. The Praetorian guards grab Grogu in the, the IG-12 mech suit and haul him off. Bo-Katan tells Dinjarin to go save her, his son, and she goes one-on-one with Moff Gideon. A really cool battle, her with the Darksaber, Moff Gideon with this Beskar staff. It kind of has those electro things on the end, much like General Grievous's uh, men had in the prequel series. And I thought it was really interesting that uh, they end up, uh, the Darksaber gets crushed and wrecked. And I think the Darksaber is a badass looking weapon. Make no bones about it. But it's also a crutch. You know, the, the Mandalorians only want to follow whoever has the Darksaber. And Bo-Katan has already proven she's a, a very capable leader with or without the Darksaber. So so I like the fact that, you know, they're showing that she's going to be a leader without this crutch. Now, maybe they'll rebuild it, something like that. Who knows? But I like the idea that they destroy the Darksaber and Bo-Katan is just just the leader because she's earned it. She deserves it. She's a good leader. And I loved the fight with Din Djarin and Grogu against these three Praetorian guards because these are badass fighters. And they're, again, everyone's better together than apart. And Din Djarin is, he's holding his own, but he's getting his ass kicked. Grogu by himself is doing flips along this lighting system and just feels like he's having a good time and not taking this serious at all. But it's when they work together and, and Grogu starts using the force and he never uses the force. I'm like, oh, force choke that fucker. My wife was a little shocked at how pumped up I was getting over this fight scene, but he never used it offensively. He only used it for defense to push weapons out of the way, to push uh, Praetorian guards off or, or of himself or off Din Djarin and very much a nod to his training with Luke Skywalker that we saw start at the end of Mandalorian season two. And we saw kind of the end of it with the couple episodes that, that featured the Mandalorian in the book of Boba Fett. And you really, you don't realize in the show how long that Grogu was training with Luke Skywalker. But from what I understand, uh, some things that uh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni have said, uh, he probably spent about two years with Luke Luke Skywalker training in the ways of the Force and the ways of the Jedi. So he had a, a you know, not to mention the, the training he had uh, before Order 66, but he had a lot of time with Luke Skywalker. So he would have learned the things that Luke Skywalker learned. And that's one of the things Obi-Wan Kenobi taught him, that the Force uh, of a Jedi should be used for, for defense and not offense. And Din Djarin being offense, Grogu playing defense, they take out these three Praetorian guards, some of the baddest fighters in the galaxy. And it was just such a cool scene to see Grogu working with Din Djarin, uh, you know, him using the force, Din Djarin using force. And I really enjoyed that so well. And then you had this cool finale where Bo-Katan, Grogu, Din Djarin are there with Moff Gideon. And all of a sudden this light cruiser is coming down through this, this crack in the earth and blowing shit up. And I, I loved how Din Djarin, who's been a father figure to Grogu, Bo-Katan, who is kind of a, become a mother figure 
to Grogu. And I don't know if they'll pay that off with a Din Djarin and Bo-Katan relationship or just keep it platonic, but they're both kind of parental figures towards Grogu. But they go to cover him and Bo-Katan puts up that little shield on her on her wrist and they go to cover him as as things start to explode and you see this ball big wall of fire envelop moff gideon and you think oh shit it's, it's going to envelop these three characters what's going to happen to them and then the music swells and i think it was another thing that uh eric voss pointed out uh on a, on new rock stars how the music they used was very similar to uh the prince of egypt movie when Moses parted the Red Sea and you have this scene where Grogu is using this kind of force bubble to protect not only himself but I think more so to protect his parents Din Djarin and Bo-Katan and it just man the the hair on the back of my neck stood up I got goosebumps it was just such a my heart was full <laughs> I, I'm surprised I didn't bawl like a baby because that's that's happened before but at any rate it was just such a a wonderful scene and just you know everything they were trying to do with this scene it worked it made you feel all the feelings that you you were supposed to feel in this moment but then we kind of get the denouement where you see various things you see mandalorian culture coming back you see you know them relighting the forge of mandalore you see uh paz vizsla's son finally getting uh to take the creed and living waters his was interrupted by a big turtle crocodile in the was it the second episode or the first no that was, I think that was the first episode that happens they light the forge oh during the baptism scene uh grogu dinjarin wants grogu to take the creed but he can't because he can't speak and well if his parents could he become his apprentice well he doesn't have a parent and dinjarin officially becomes grogu's uh, father adopts him essentially and grogu is named din grogu which i, I kind of like that you know, everybody thought or at least i thought uh din jarn i thought his first name is din his last name is jarn but it's very much uh like asian culture like in japan where the surname comes first so din is actually his his last name and jarn would be his first name so if you're saying it here like we do in america with the christian name first and the surname second it would be jarn din uh grogu though is is now din grogu because he is of the house of din uh, i i thought that was kind of a cool little thing a very another little kind of glimpse into mandalorian culture or at least the culture that din jarn comes from because not all Mandalorians are from Mandalore. I thought it was cool they had uh, Din Djarin and Grogu go back to Carson Tiva on uh, a Delphi base and uh, decide they're going to take up contract work again. Uh, only they're going to do it for the, the New Republic kind of on a case-by-case -case basis. They see the IG head up uh, on display and take that back and, and cre recreate IG-11 to become the new Marshal of Navarro. And Din Djarin and Grogu settle down in a little cabin just outside of Navarro. And they do that kind of circle transition to, to transition out. And hover on Grogu and Din Djarin as Grogu's using the Force to play with a frog. So there you have it. That is what uh, what went on in Season 3. Some of the things I liked, some of the things I didn't like. I think as a whole, I, I, I liked this season. I like that it really wrapped up a trilogy of seasons. And that's kind of how you have to look at this. I think the first season, they kept very isolated. 
I don't think they knew how many seasons they were going to do of The Mandalorian. Was it going to take off the way it did? Uh, so they kept it very contained. But with the second season, they really started a bigger story. And with season three, they really paid off that bigger story because the show is called The Mandalorian. And everybody thinks that, well, The Mandalorian, that's Din Djarin. But I think The Mandalorian as a as a title of the show is, is a lot bigger than just that. Sure, it is Din Djarin. He is... Uh, the Mandalorian, but the Mandalorian could also be Grogu because Grogu is becoming a Mandalorian. And I, I think Grogu is going to be a bigger part of Mandalorian culture than than people realize because I, I think there's a lot of things as far as who rules the Mandalorians and there's this prophecy of the, the ruler riding the mythosaur who is extinct and how could that happen? But Grogu has a thing with uh, taming animals. And so I, I think he's going to play, play a bigger part on Mandalore with the Mandalorian culture and uh, I think he's got a bigger role to play in the future. But he could also be considered the Mandalorian. Because I think this show is a lot more about him than people realize. And I also think the Mandalorian could also be referring to the Mandalorian as a people. Uh, I don't think it's as narrow-minded and obtuse as just Din Djarin is the Mandalorian and nobody else Nobody else counts. Uh, I think it is a bigger, more multifaceted thing than that. One of the other things I really liked about this season was the fact that they really did kind of double down on this idea that the Mandalorian are strong by themselves but they're even stronger together. And, and you had these two factions of Mandalorians. You have the Armorers group that were formerly uh, Death Watch Mandalorians. Now they're the Children of the Watch. They're the very strict, uh, very uh, conservative types. They are, you know, everyone has to wear their helmet all the time. And, you know, you have to live by this rule and this rule, this rule, this rule. And there is no, there's no wiggle room. Uh, there's no way around it. Where you have the other group led by Bo-Katan that are very uh, looser with the, the rules. And you can take your helmet off. It's not a big deal. And you have these two groups that clash all the time. And I like how they showed these two groups forming a, a mutual bond, a mutual respect for one another. They they doubled down on the idea that these, these Mandalorian people are very strong uh, by themselves, but together they're they're unstoppable, and I I like that because I think one it's it's an interesting thing to watch on the screen, but it's also an interesting thing when you apply to what's going on with our country right now because you could take a look at it. You know, got the two factions of Mandalorians. You've got the two factions uh, in our country of of political sides, and we all have our differences, but we're all we're all Americans. Just like, you know, the two factions of Mandalorians are all still Mandalorians and they all want the same thing. They all want uh, their their country and their culture to be uh, as good as it can be. And I think, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good analogy to what's going on today where we may have a lot of differences uh, between political sides, 
but we're stronger as a people together when we can put aside our differences and focus on the things that really matter and focus on the things that make us better. And I, I, I like that. I like that idea. I like the way uh, they kind of showed that without really being preachy about it. And that's that's another one thing I like about The Mandalorian. And this is one of the rare Star Wars things where they they show things. There, there are social issues at play. There are political issues at play, but it's all done with a deft hand and very subtly. And I, I got to tip my hat to John Favreau, who, at least in this season, was one of the primary writers. Dave Filoni did some writing on various episodes, but John Favreau had his hand in all the episodes. And and I, I thought he did a really good job with that. I think they did a really good job with setting up the future with the Thrawn stuff. Uh, I like how it even kind of delves into the future beyond that with the uh, New Republic being ineffectual and very bureaucratic and how it was doomed to fail because, because of all of that and how it sets up things in the future. Everyone's kind of pissed off because they're not just completely retconning and erasing the sequel trilogy uh, completely. That is never going to fucking happen. If you think that is going to happen, you're delusional. They're not going to just make the sequel trilogy not canon anymore. Not going to happen. They could do some things to give a little more reason and rhyme to it, uh, to make things, you know, they can retcon things a little bit, but you can't just completely do away with it. That's why everyone's pissed off about this new uh, trilogy or this new Star Wars movie that's going to have Rey as a featured character and starting a new Jedi Order. She's already an established character. You can't just pretend like she she doesn't exist anymore. I, that's that's ridiculous and that's silly. But I think you know the way Dave Filoni did with uh, Star Wars, uh, the Clone Wars, and Star Wars Rebels, uh, where he gave the prequel trilogy a lot more context with that and that makes uh, some of the things that happened in the prequel trilogy that I didn't really care for a little more palatable I think that's what they're trying to do with the sequel trilogy is use episode you know use uh, shows like the Mandalorian and maybe Ahsoka and the skeleton crew you know different shows to to add more context to what we've already seen and make Things that maybe we weren't really down with make them a little more palatable. And and I really enjoy that that The Mandalorian does things like that. Dave Filoni and Jon Favreau are trying to do things like that. And I also love the battles in this. My God, the like I said, that, that last episode, some of the fight scenes were just fantastic. The space battle was really cool. The big Mandalorian uh, versus uh, Mandalorian armor wearing a stormtroopers battle was just awesome. And, and the fight scenes between the Praetorian guards and Din Djarin and the other guards and Din Djarin were, were just some badass fight scenes that I thought were really cool. And the, the special effects, they really showcased a lot of cool special effects in this season, uh, showing that they, you know, while things maybe aren't perfected, uh, they're getting close. And, and they did a lot of really good uh, special effects, visual effects, I think probably the biggest thing, uh, CG stuff, uh, CG characters, uh, they really honed the craft uh, in this season and probably some of the best special effects and visual effects that I've seen in, in any of the Star Wars uh, spinoff series and in even The Mandalorian uh, of, of the three seasons. I think this probably had some of the best uh, visual effects that I, I really enjoyed and the CG work was was 
pretty damn good. Take some notes, Marvel. So that leaves us to the future. Season four, they're kind of taking this back. I know one of the biggest bitches uh, about this season was that it was a big, uh, you know, a big story arc. Oh, my God. How how dare they have a big overarching story uh, that was bigger than just one character? God damn them. Those sons of bitches. Uh, (laughs) I don't mind it. I like story. I like character development. I like, you know, having multiple characters that I care about. Uh, so that didn't bother me. But I, I know some of the people were griping because it wasn't just uh, Din Djarin and Grogu flying around, solving mysteries and collecting bounties. Uh, that's all good and well, but that's like the fucking A-team from back in the 80s. I don't want to see the A-team. I've already seen it. Uh, I want to see, you know bigger picture things playing out while you can still do some of that stuff. Yeah, I do. I do miss uh, some of the charm of the first season was the fact that Din Djarin was out collecting bounties. And I think they're going to get back to that. But I didn't mind the fact that they, they made a little detour and gave us a bigger story and a bigger picture and bigger stakes uh, with the past two seasons. But they are going to get back. It seems that they'll, they'll get back to Din Djarin going out collecting bounties and and I have to imagine uh, if they do like another trilogy of seasons, because uh, that's what I hear they want to do like five or six seasons of this, then, you know, it's going to eventually go back to a bigger story and a bigger picture. And you, you just got to you gotta understand that it can't just be all the, the heist of the week or the bounty of the week. Uh, that's kind of like the formulaic uh standalone every episode's a standalone episode that we got a lot in the 80s and and while it was fun back then you know we we've we've come to expect more we want bigger stories we want continuing stories we want uh, a story that that matters over several episodes and and i hope that they they bring back some of the charm of Din Djarin and Grogu out collecting bounties uh but still Keep an eye focused on the bigger picture and and bigger stories that that need to be told, and and I, I trust uh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni. I, I you know of anybody that's working in Star Wars right now, uh, those two are the two I trust the most, and and I I have full faith that uh, season four is just be as good as the other seasons, and this season in particular, I, I really liked it. Was it perfect? No. Did it have some faults? Uh, yeah, it had some, not as many as I think some reviewers out there want to claim. So looking forward to more out of, uh, out of the Mandalorian once we ever find out, uh, when season four is going to be going into production. Uh, I have to imagine it's probably going to be a couple more years before we see anything on, on that front as far as uh, pre-production and the actual production of it before it's ready to to go on to Disney+. Plus. So I'm guessing probably a couple years before we see anything. But uh, keep it locked on Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We'll definitely let you know as soon as we hear anything. So, And before I forget, one last thing. I don't know as if we've seen the last of Moff Gideon. Of course, uh, in the uh, first couple seasons, uh, Moff Gideon had a mustache. In this season, when we finally get the revelation that he was, uh, you know, they had the prison break with him, uh, the Moff Gideon we saw did not have a mustache, just like the clone versions of Moff Gideon that we saw in the uh, season finale. So uh, was the Moff Gideon that got enveloped by the ball of fire? Uh, was that the real Moff Gideon? Will the, ple- will the 
Will the real Moff Gideon please stand up? Uh, I think that may have been a little switcheroo. I think Moff Gideon that we saw in season three, or at least the most of the Moff Gideon we saw in season three, was a clone. And we will see Moff Gideon return in... uh, Maybe not future seasons of The Mandalorian, but we might see that kind of spill into uh, the Ahsoka series or if they go back to uh, the Mandalorians and the Bo-Katan storyline, whether it be in The Mandalorian or one of the other spinoff series, uh, I don't know. But uh, mark my words, I don't think we've seen the last of Moff Gideon. Bum, bum, bum. I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on The Mandalorian Season 3. Check out everything that's going on with the Odds Bodkins Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page. We're always posting trailers and articles to the horror, fantasy, and science fiction we find all over the internet to add my two cents as well. Check us out on Instagram. And no matter where you listen to this podcast, follow it, like it, subscribe to it, whatever you got to do, and share it with anyone that you know that loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction. And always remember to leave those reviews five stars would be awesome but whatever review you leave we do appreciate that so until next time thank you for visiting odds bodkins curiosity shop we hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon but even though you may come back you never really get to leave odds bodkins curiosity shop ha 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 ha